Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, right, welcome back. Hope everyone had a good weekend. And let's get right into it, talking about our center rankings here, Dane. We're at the top now of the positional spectrum, having done shooting guards through power forwards, point guards uh, will be next, obviously. But a center, some of it's just process of elimination. Everyone that's big that we haven't talked about yet is probably going to be in here. But what is it that makes a center and what are the criteria that we are evaluating these players on Danny because I think that that's something that can get lost in the analysis in centers sometimes or just what you need from that position we can start with the criteria and the idea as it is for all of our position rankings and the top 10 players which we will do after that is imagining a season full season plus playoffs starting today and how much you want how how much you think that player will help your team and so there are a lot of things that come into that are factors there and so for me one of the things that makes center different is how do you impact the team's defense because if a center is a negative defensive player or a less of a positive, it is much harder to make up for that somewhere else. You're probably going to have to sacrifice something, most notably spacing. It's harder to find players who can protect the rim, let's say. And so whether we're talking lack of versatility or just not being able to execute the scheme that you can do very well, those are real limitations. However, of course, players can make up for that on the offensive end. They can be brilliant as distributors or offensive forces, drawing a ton of fouls but that idea of being able to competently defend your position is so central to the center position because there isn't really another way to make up for it yeah unlike the power forward position generally centers fall into an archetype where they project the rim and they rebound and some centers are better at that than others but generally your center is going to be your best rebounder and your best rim protector on the floor because it's harder particularly rim protection to get that from other positions so if you don't get that at the center position then you either are just not going to have it overall as a team and your defense just not gonna be that good or you're gonna have to find it from other positions which in many cases can compromise some of the offensive advantages that these players usually if they're not that good at protecting the rim or defending and pick and roll or rebounding then it's because they're a really good offensive player and they're on the floor but maybe then they give back some of that offensive advantage because you have to put more defense around them and so how the skill set affects the team building is something that i think is going to be a big theme 
as we get more into the starters category i think another big theme here is that the center position has what i would consider to be a lot of depth in the sense that there may not be that much difference between the 25th best center and the 45th best center now i do think the idea that oh just the whole center position is devalued whatever at the highest levels that's not necessarily the case part of the reason why maybe 10 years ago or so you remember when the league made that change that there wasn't a center position in the all-star ballot anymore it just was front court because the centers were so bad i think that was just an artificial lull in the center position and also the fact that a lot of guys who were kind of power forwards when the power forward position was so strong would just be centers now and it's evolved into being centers and so now if you have a center at the highest level like that actually really matters uh, and a lot of centers at the top of the league are, are really driving winning right now particularly in the regular season so that's something to keep in mind here well and, and as well on kind of on the other side of that coin another thing to keep in mind which we will hit at a, at a different juncture part of the reason i really enjoy doing these is center has a different inflection point than every other position because one of the things that can happen particularly in crunch time is you just don't play and so the threshold for is this player out there all the time versus is there a, a reason that you might not whether that's because of their lack of versatility or because you can do that and some of that is team specific and remember we're placing this player for the thought experiment on a random team this is not putting deandre Ayton in his situation on the suns this is imagining deandre Ayton could be on a totally different team with a different construction because that makes it more fair at least as a thought experiment we can't do it we have to rely on the statistics and the analysis that we have but the idea that not only is there a lot of depth and i agree with you the 25th to the 45th and also this position because one of the things i do is like rotation caliber the rotation caliber group for me goes all the way down to 66 and think, keep in mind that with a couple of narrow exceptions, most of these guys are one position players and you don't need more than two centers in your rotation, which also means there's a lot of depth that might not necessarily be utilized and maximized. Yeah. And I think once you get below maybe the top 20 centers in the league, you're probably not closing games with guys below that, particularly on a good team, because you've got Giannis, you've got AD, you've got Draymond Green, guys who are really good small, but some teams will just go small like super small or you've got ALB Batum or Marcus Morris on the Clippers playing center at the end of games when they're healthy so that's a great point that you make where hey the number 30 small forward is probably going to be closing games for you or the number 30 power forward is probably going to be closing games for you the number 30 center probably will not be closing games for you a couple of other things that we should probably note here too I thought this is actually the easiest position to rank for the reasons that we talked about earlier where there are just certain things that you have to do as a center i think those things are relatively easy to evaluate also uh particularly defensively center defense is much easier we have better tools to evaluate that and also just from an, an eye test standpoint i think it's easier to evaluate defensively and centers are just involved in more plays defensively as well so i, I think evaluating defense and then also just delineating the skill set of these players and what they are capable of i i find it the easiest position right do you agree on that or no 
I agree at the top. I thought in some of kind of the middle classes, so if we're talking 10 to 30, when some of those lines got murky, like is this player materially better than this one? Because it can be so situational. And once you kind of get past the level of the guys that can do either a lot of things or do one thing so well, then it's like, well, where are you going to get in with that? And then, so that part was a little bit hard for me, but compared to some of the other positions, yeah, I, I felt like I lost a lot less sleep here than in some of the other spots yeah so you found it easy to decide between Joel Embiid and Nicole Jokic for number one then you, you said it was easy at the top right <laughs> well I mean actually to some extent I mean the first of all those two guys are in are in a tier and so the, dis- the distinction yeah. there is is matters but it matters a little bit less and because they're in the same tier and and I think for me there is an easy argument to make that especially if we're we're counting the playoffs this is regular season and playoffs Jokic has improved a lot defensively and the idea that Embiid could be the better playoff player. Now, we haven't seen it recently, but that theoretical capacity is there. Some of the improvements we've seen from Jokic, whether those bear out against high-level opposition in a seven-game series, we're going to have to see. However, the reason why I thought for the for the sake of this exercise that Jokic over Embiid was easier than I thought is because it's not even a tiebreaker. It's just a definitive element is availability. Because yes, in a single game, you could easily, like, you could make an, an argument to me that you'd rather have Joel Embiid. But if there is an 80% chance that Joel Embiid is available for that game and a 90 to 95% chance that Jokic is available, and that is something that is more structural than just happenstance, that Jokic misses less time, to me, that made it like, okay, yes, there are times that you'd rather have Embiid, but if you're picking, if you're picking one bet to make, I'm making that bet on you. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us 
I waited to decide until we talked about it. Here's the argument for why Embiid is better than Jokic. He's better defensively, although I think that gap is narrowed, as you alluded to, both with Joel slipping and Jokic getting better. Like some of the numbers on Joel defending at the rim, he's like 59% this year. It's actually a little bit below average for this group as a center. I think he can still ramp that up in the playoffs. He obviously also doesn't have any defensive personnel around him this season. And he still definitely intimidates when he's in position. You don't have to play yeah and by the way when Embiid is on the floor if you want to say not even in the shots he contests Sixers opponents are making 66 percent of their shots at the rim when Embiid's on the floor that was in the 62 to 60 range the other points in his career I would be very interested in whether there's something larger going on there yeah uh, I mean I think it's a lot of it is that he is slowing down a little bit he's become less athletic over the years and also just the pieces around him are giving up a lot of straight line drives before he can even get there they can't get over a screen when he's playing in a drop coverage etc whereas Jokic still against anybody good has to just get out on the floor like he if you get going downhill at him he's a little better than he used to be he's had these game saving blocks this year um certainly the defensive numbers have been very good part of that shooting luck part of it's because they haven't really had a traditional center behind him a lot of the year but he's also uh, has gotten quite a bit better you can also say that joel actually has other than COVID, has been very durable this year i mean he hasn't been missing games due to these kind of small niggling injuries uh, that would have him out for five or six games at a time or knee soreness or whatever we worried about that coming off uh, the injury of the torn meniscus that he didn't have surgery on after the playoffs and so i think and there's also maybe a feeling that just straight up one-on-one isolation style Joel Embiid is just more undeniable in a one-on-one situation as a scorer although i think Jokic, again because he's quicker now has also gotten a lot better there i i, I wouldn't say would you say there's if you're gonna say number of guys who could guard Jokic one-on-one in the post versus number of guys who could guard Embiid number one on the post you think there's a is it significantly smaller for Embiid than for Jokic? No, especially in the team context, if you're adding that in, which I know that you're not emphasizing yeah. that as much. But I think that's yeah. important for the overall consideration. I mean, distribution, being a hub. And another factor in this... Uh, well, so so I, I would say, I push back on that a little bit. Like, I don't know that DeAndre Ayton could just guard Joel Embiid on an island one-on-one. Whereas I think... Uh, yeah, there there is a I, small I think number. I mean, I like, think that... I think there are some guys. I think like Yeah, there well, are some, but I don't think it's a significant number number yeah Joel's got the face-up game as well that Jokic doesn't have you know Jokic is not he still isn't like a quick you know triple threat drive by you jab step shoot the jumper like he's just in turn there are guys who can make it a struggle for Jokic to get his shot off at all whereas I think if he can get his shot off against anyone maybe it's not the greatest shot and and he's just can bowl guys over a little bit more the foul drawing I mean that's the other thing too like he'll put guys in foul trouble um so 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 I I worry about that as a playoff exercise size just the they're typically diminishing returns even if Embiid is dominant enough that he can do it in the playoffs better than most yeah I I mean I you know I think the list of guys that I would trust to guard Jokic one-on-one in the post is maybe 10 long and maybe it's six for Embiid or something I actually would have to go through it and really think about that but uh but obviously there are many more aspects than that I'm just trying to make the argument for Embiid however and I also thought maybe when I ranked Embiid in a tier above Jokic last year I saw the way that Embiid 
was just absolutely killing guys one-on-one last year and I thought hey maybe this is going to be it that he's going to be totally unstoppable in the post and instead you know he really I I thought kind of failed in the playoffs last year like he was not the same dominant force part of that is because he got injured again as well as you alluded to but he Joel Embiid has never had a good playoff by his standards he has been he has never had a playoffs where he's been anywhere close to his regular season impact that year I would say whereas Nikola Jokic on the other hand until he kind of ran out of gas in that Phoenix series I think he's largely been better in the playoffs and we've had demonstrations of how Jokic has no offensive weaknesses and we've seen some of the best defenders try to guard him I mean that that series that he had against the Lakers in the conference finals in 2020 yes they lost that series but Jokic offensively was unbelievable and of course in other series against inferior opposition he did even better and I think that it's such an important consideration and then you think about the part of the value to a team you know you were randomizing this is yes I think that the a team's defensive ceiling is lower with Jokic is that we are seeing such a stark example this year of how limited your offensive personnel can be in terms of creation and passing and still have an offense that thrives with Nicole Jokic as your center. And yeah. this to be able to have the level of offensive production that they have with this level of guards is stunning. And Embiid is a immensely talented offensive player. And just because you can't do exactly what somebody else is doing, that's a factor, but it's not the only thing. The Denver Nuggets have a, basically a 118 offensive rating when Nicole Jokic is on the floor. And their second yeah. best so, offensive player. So about player, league average <laughs> over, over the last <laughs> League month. average over the last two weeks, yes. Um, That is 91st percentile per cleaning the glass. That is with Denver's, not only Denver's second best offensive player being out for the entirety of the season and their third best player being either not right or out. But it's, it's not only about that. And yes, this is going to sound like blatant disrespect for various players. But let's go through briefly through the guards that have played significant minutes for the Denver Nuggets this year. Leading leading guard in terms of minutes played, Monte Morris, 1,900 minutes. Then Austin Rivers, Facundo Campazzo, rookie Bones Highland. Those are the all the guys that have played over 1,000 minutes as guards for them. Yeah, yeah. I would say Monte Morris, of all the guards they have, is the only one where on a good team you'd be like, oh, this guy is a, a really solid rotation piece. You know, a top three guard on a decent. You know, I, I think that's totally reasonable. And, and, and so to have an offense that good when it has to be him is jaw-dropping completely jaw-dropping yeah I think Nikola Jokic particularly with Steph Curry falling off this year to me is the best offensive player in the world I actually when I looked at this last time this uh, this uh last year I felt that it's possible that Joel Embiid might actually be better than Jokic in the playoffs because he could just generate more shots and you know was a better one-on-one player I wasn't sure about it and then I was like okay Joel clearly has the defensive edge so that's why I had him in a, in a tier above Jokic and then you throw in the durability aspect as well I think I will go with Jokic above Embiid this year particularly when you throw in the health I think without the health you know I usually don't go to health unless it's a tiebreaker or the guy's just like super injured but I am going to go with Jokic as well and yeah I mean he's despite the fact that I still really worry and, I, and no doubt this will come up for top 10 players in the NBA and probably not for MVP this year maybe it will uh, that it's really hard to win a championship with Jokic because you just can't get your defense to a high enough level with that kind of a not even necessarily a, a bad defensive center but just a less versatile defensive center it may even be possible that you can't do it with Joel Embiid as your best player too uh for because he's a center and you know we'll see we still 
still haven't seen a straight up center be the best player on a championship team in quite some time so that's tier one one and two Jokic and Embiid for me same for you yep. this would be interesting now who's number three I had I was seriously considering two players for this third spot and that will be my next tier and the omission of a third player is going to be I'm sure a generated response for someone I, I welcome that but for me the choice is between Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns and they're kind of parallel arguments in a certain respect that Gobert is this unbelievably valuable defensive player, not necessarily the most defensively versatile as came up in the Clippers series, but it, it, the idea of it's kind of defensive heliocentric, where if you put him on a team with flawed defensive personnel, your defense is still going to be pretty good to very good when he's on the floor. And yes, it's not quite the heights in his age 29 season that it was at 27 or 28. Still pretty damn good. And Jokic, and sorry, and Gobert is a capable, functional offensive player, screen assists aside, you know, like he, he can fit in well, he's not going to drag you down, but he's also not going to send you to new heights. Carl Anthony Towns is a superlative offensive player, and we have seen the the impact that he can have on the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have a similarly robust offensive rating, 117-4, clean the glass when Carl Anthony Towns is on the floor, and he is their best offensive player. And you can see that when, like, for example, when D'Angelo Russell plays without Towns, the, and granted, you're also replacing him with a far weaker offensive player, those numbers go down. However, Carl Anthony Towns is a limited enough defender that you have to commit resources to to shore up that defense if you're going to be capable on that end. And it is important that the Wolves have largely been able to do that this year. Like that is an that is an accomplishment for Chris Finch and for this front office, which has changed hands a little bit. But that so like that was the core of what I was battling between those two guys. So I don't have either of those guys number three. You have Bam? I do have Bam. And I also have Carl Anthony Towns number five in a tier below Interesting. Autobio and Gobert. Um, you know, I think clearly neither of us and probably no one listening to this is gonna have to me much of an a disagreement about what these players are right and the center position i mean this goes back to some of these the sabonis debates that we've been having for years stuff like that it's more about how valuable what they do is to winning basketball and also how valuable that is to winning basketball at the absolute highest level so i think i'm rating bam number three despite the fact that i think he is the worst regular season player of gobert in town i'll start first with why i have towns at five i don't think it's i just don't think it's possible to win a championship with him the defense will just be too bad he's also totally unproven in the playoffs he's been in one playoff series and he was terrible you know that was a long time ago with some other players but and we'll see how he looks in this year's playoff potentially uh not even in the play uh, mm. they've been on fire lately but i just don't think you can win a championship with his defense i mean it is as much as i've said that with Jokic, Jokic is a level above towns defensively which is such a disappointment considering what we hope Towns would be defensively when he came out part of that I think was just a misevaluation part of it is because Town has just hasn't really maintained his body to have the same lateral movement and leaping ability around the rim that he had when he was younger part of it he just doesn't seem to have the mentality to be a drop center and so again you're, you gotta put two on the ball and now you're just gonna get carved up against an actual good cancer against such a crazy the, the way they happen so again I like I, I think it's quite possible that Carl Anthony Towns might get you more regular season wins than Bam Adebayo or Rudy Gobert maybe less of an argument there with Rudy um and I do think and then getting to Rudy a lot of people will be like oh well hey like you know he he got abused or not necessarily even that he got abused but that he couldn't stop that Clippers onslaught last year 
but they built their team around Rudy Gobert to have all this offense then he could clean up the defense if you just put him on a team that you know was an kind of average-ish playoff defense or god forbid even good defenders around I mean I do think that your defense could be good enough and then oh, offensively sure. you know, if you compare Gobert's offense versus Towns' defense part of it is because defense is so much more important for a center than offense so this is you know in, in some ways Gobert's Towns' defense being bad would be more important than Gobert's offense being bad but Gobert's offense is not bad Gobert actually has a higher usage rate than you might expect given his skill set you know 17 percent usage 73 percent true shooting he's even boosted his free throw shooting to 69 percent this year he's shooting 72 percent for the field and he does provide a lot of gravity rolling to the rim yes he can't post up he's got some liabilities against switches but you know part part of that is number one the last two years it wasn't the jazz offense that failed them and number two it's not necessarily necessarily the center's job to beat switches like there are probably six decent post-up centers in the whole league at, at this point and, even and against and, a switch and, and more more importantly even than that there aren't that many that are decent it's it in modern nba it doesn't create as much of a competitive advantage as it used to like you have to move quickly you have to and, and there are some that are truly great at it yeah. but generally speaking it what you get is more fleeting and and harder to take advantage of for various reasons. It's the other guys on your team's job to beat a switch. Right. A lot of time. Not necessarily. Because I don't know he could get an offensive rebound as well. Uh, he also is, is one of the few centers who can just play a ton of minutes. He very rarely gets hurt as well. That, that's a big part of this. So now why do I have one Edris Adebayo third? As longtime listeners can probably guess at this point, it goes down to his level of defensive versatility. And yes, he is on a lot of teams. He wouldn't be that valuable of a defender because he's i would consider him actually average to maybe even slightly below as a rim protector like if you look at yeah that that we'll, we'll talk about in a second yeah yeah i mean if you 0.9 blocks for 36 minutes that is well below below the positional average of 1.5 the rim protection numbers have never been amazing he does get a lot of steals though and you know he could do things out on the floor in zone in switches aggressive coverages you know he's probably the best blitz big if you do want to go that way in the league as well so you could play any kind of a, a defense with him except maybe a, a drop back defense he's not amazing at uh, although he still can move his feet pretty well so and th- i think that that's just what wins in the playoffs and then offensively his assists are down by about a third this year but we've seen that he can be that guy who can average five assists a game running the dho game up top his dribbling ad- adds an elephant and he's got a pretty high usage and he's averaging over 20 points for 36 minutes and he's not he's a little bit below the positional average in terms of efficiency because he will take some floaters and long twos but he's 25 percent usage like he definitely does stuff offensively as both a scorer and passer that are not is not very common at this position so I think he's a big plus on offense and a big plus on defense and the most versatile defensive center. And so I think there's just the versatility of that skill set just lets him be a part of really high level teams and defenses in a way that maybe even Gobert could not. And obviously Bam brings a lot more than Gobert on the offense. I think the core of our disagreement is that I think Bam is in a very favorable ecosystem that isn't necessarily transportable. That Adebayo's... You, well, you brought, I, on the defensive end or the offensive Both. End? Honestly, both. I think that his, so it's interesting. We brought up a lot Jimmy Butler's failings in the 2021 postseason. Bam was bad too, as they got completely run roughshod oh, yeah. by the Milwaukee Bucks. And Bam, to me, the I think there's a little bit of mystery box with him of, oh, it could be anything. Like to me, Bam is a talented offensive player that 
can fit in, but he is not so dominant that you can build it around him. I think that it is an additive piece, but it is not a transformative piece on a good team against other good teams. And he did have a nice, he had a very important role in Miami's run to the 2020 finals, and his absence was an important part of why they lost in the 2020 finals. But I also think Bam's versatility defensively is... I think a little bit overstated because that implies that he can do everything well, as opposed to he can do the the ways that matter in terms of like switching and all that. I don't think he's particularly strong at the other things, whether he's in that position or not. You know, like he's not a great rim protector when he's there. The teams generally, you know, like if you could get him out on the floor in a switching team, he's not getting back. And also like, yes, it's if you can have all of the other pieces to make a switching scheme, phenomenal. Bam is a great center for you to have. That, we talk about how like having a limited center like DeMontis Sabonis, like that changes your, your structure. If you can pull the other pieces to make a switching scheme work, that's great. But if you have Trey Young, if you have Steph Curry, if you, I mean, Steph has done stuff in switching system too, but if you have like any, a lot of these like modern guards, Bam becomes less valuable as a defensive player. And he is very good at what he does. And the idea that he can do unusual things unusually well is important. But I don't think it's as valuable as you do. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's so terrible at the traditional stuff. And you could also just you know, put him in a blitzing scheme, too, if, if you needed to do a more tra- traditional approach to protect some of those guys. But, you know, they, they've had times when they've played well defensively with you know, Goran Dragic and Tyler Hero closing games, or Goran Dragic and Duncan Robinson. And the, those were their closing guards in 2020, and they still made it all the way. Yeah, but the... I mean, they, he's played with at least two other high-end defenders and maybe the best defensive coach in the entire NBA his entire career that's it, it yeah. is a uh, uh, well but but ultimately I think it's a, just the ability to build something that's just like incredibly high level with him and then also I, I think offensively he's like well above average but so, but so here, here's my question to you yeah. bit okay on an NBA championship team Bam Matabayo is the blank best player the highest you think is credible do you think he can be the best player in a championship team uh probably second I think uh, depending on who number one is I think that's I think that's plausible and like I, like the heat could win it this year they could whether he's their second best player on that team or not is an open question it would depend on well, how things shake out lowry at this point he's he's too old yeah, well i mean he could lowry could be awesome in the playoffs like we we, we could yeah, see yeah we'll up. see i, I mean yeah. but i i will put to, it, me, to me to me if the, if the heat win the title it's probably because kyle lowry was really good but anyway that's well that's getting it's a little probably because bam was really good too right like i don't think they can do it without him being the second player but all right so, okay. so that's we got a disagreement there yeah uh my my tier two is bam three Gobert four, and then I got Carl Anthony Towns in tier three by himself. Yes. Uh, so we, we have a and, we have a yeah. similar structure but a different order i have gobert and towns in a tier and then bam in a tier so that's basically all of the guys that i think of as like true all-star level I and mean, you'll get some others like jared allen who will, will pop up uh, at times well, and, or, or here's another way of putting it i it, it would take one hell of a season for somebody else to get for me to think of them as an all-nba guy right now with those five like i thought i saw a pretty stark line of delineation for right now between those five and everyone else so Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear 
formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Here's a good time to talk about some of the positional averages as we get into players who are still very, very good players, high-end players, but more kind of role players at this point, even even when you get to the sixth best center in the NBA. So a few things to note. League average true shooting is about 56% right now. The average for all centers who played 500 or more minutes so far this year in terms of true shooting is 61%. That's very noteworthy, right? If, If you're much below that, you are below average efficient out of the center position now of course as the usage goes up more so at this position maybe than any other your efficiency is going to go down unless your name is nicole who is shooting 64 percent for two but most of these guys as you always say are dependent players and so and they're shooting mostly around the room so that's why you really on the shot diet that most of these guys are taking you should be very efficient if you're all you're doing is dunking around the basket or getting offensive rebound putbacks or pick and roll finishes usage of course is lower 18.9% is the average usage for this group. Whereas, remember, with shooting guard, small forwards is 21, then power forwards is around 20. Three point attempts for 36 minutes. The average here is 2.0. That's probably not as useful, though. So, I wanted to give you a little more information on like what actually qualifies as like being a real three point threat at this position. The number of players, there are 52 players that have played 500 or more minutes at the center. 18 of those players take more than two threes per 36 minutes 23 of those players take more than one three per 36 minutes so so this is kind of interesting and we could kind of we call this maybe the the Jonas Valanciunas I don't know if you want to say rule but line uh, yeah yeah line that, that's a good way of putting it where you kind of either you take them in decent volume or you just don't right there aren't these guys who are like okay we're gonna uh, i'll take three for 36 minutes like and, and this is noteworthy too right so he said 23 guys take more than one for 36 18 guys take more than two for 36 and 16 guys take more than four for 36 so basically, so basically there are frequent shooters and yeah infrequent shooters yeah it's basically like you're taking four or you're just not taking them at all yeah i mean and there, there's a few guys who you know could take a more you know your Evan Mobley is taking 1.5 for 36 
Dwayne Dedman used to take out. Now he doesn't anymore. So, but the other part of it too is even if some of these guys can't shoot, like Dedman is a great example of it. Even if he can shoot them, sometimes some teams are just like, no, we're not doing that with our center. Your your job is to set screens and roll to the basket and get in position for offensive rebounds or to hand off rather than just space the floor while other people are doing stuff. So that's worth noting too. It's like maybe they can shoot them, but if they're not standing out there as a threat, then you're not really getting that benefit anyway. So the highest number of threes per 36 is actually Mike Muscala, 9.9 per 36 minutes, which is a crazy number. And then you've got Mo Wagner in very limited minutes taking 7.7. Other than that, you know, you've got guys taking six, like Porzingis is at six for 36 minutes. And then even the guys who kind of, you know, even Carl Towns is 5.4. So most of these guys who shoot it are kind of in the four to six range, unless they're just like really out there to totally bond. Miles Turner is 5.3, Mo Bamba 5.2, Kelly Olenek 5.8. So that's like, if you think about like, what's a big number for this position, the guys who are the best shooters, that, that's what you get. So uh, and let me see if there's any other things that kind of stick out here. Well, it's always hard. I'll just mention for rebounding yeah. because there will be times that people want to conflate a player's rebounding numbers, individual counting stats with their ability as a rebounder. But thankfully, we have gotten smarter and realized that there are lots of other elements like boxing out that are extremely important. And they're also context dependent, like how many good rebounders, how much size do you have on the floor? And so it's not just Andre Drummond grabs a billion defensive rebounds per 36. Therefore, he is a good rebounder. Your team will be good at rebounding when he is on the floor. Great call. All right. This group, I'm still, I got five guys in this next group and i'm not entirely sure how to order miles turner deandre ayton jared allen evan mobley and robert williams i can't believe we had the same five guys i spent so <laughs> much time on this i spent so much time on it i moved guys in and out i i, I don't think we'll have the next group the same and i ended up going it's a loose order allen ayton turner williams mobley and it mobley's probably the hardest here actually you could argue in some ways robert williams just because his role within the Celtics offense is so minuscule like Robert Williams 74% true shooting but 11.5 usage like that is a that is a shockingly low like Thibodeau center-esque usage rate for Robert Williams so all he's doing is finishing very basic plays and some of that is because but but Williams Williams is a very nice passer though like they will run stuff through which is which you don't necessarily see a lot of from that sort of like alley-oop center like usually those guys are low enough skill level that they're not doing a ton of that stuff Uh, another guy who's in who's who in this group who's I think a little bit underappreciated the passer is Jared Allen. Um, he doesn't, you know, you don't do a ton with it, but it's something you can use a lot. And like I, Allen, it's it, having this group together. I mean, DeAndre Ayton is in the most favorable circumstance of all of them. You know, plays on an unbelievable team. He plays with with capable distributors, though he's you know dealing with Chris Paul's absence now, and he's still done well. But I, I think that what was interesting that we each got it was what was your primary consideration separating these players from the ones below them, not the ones above them. I think we know that line, but what what was it for you that stuck out? Oh, well, definitely needed two way play, I and mean, that, that's to me and two-way play while being at least very good on both sides or average on one side and great on the other and i think that describes most of these guys i think if it weren't for health i think miles turner would be number one here for me of of this group which is in the six through ten range because he does add the element that nobody else in this group does quite yet which is being able to space the floor and and turner he's never
never gotten into that high 30s 40 percent range that you hoped that he would but he shoots enough i mean he he is in the top quartile of this position in terms of the number that he shoots he needs to be guarded out there uh i think he actually is more mobile defensively than we've seen from him i think he could do a little bit more switching if needed but he is also probably to me not necessarily maybe not the best rim protector like that's probably gobert but the best shot blocker in the nba and he i I think he's just one of the best rim protectors and gives you something on offense that not a lot of teams do and i I think the way that demontis sabonis and the kings have struggled since getting to sacramento on the defensive end and even honestly uh, on the offensive end as well showed you that sabonis thrived in so many ways because of turner and because if you have turner out there you can get away with we talked about last time with the power forwards of how having a power forward who likes to score a zion or a julius randall or a john collins that that determines the character of your team in many ways on the and you have to build around them well miles turner enables you to have that scoring power forward in a way that because he could clean up for that guy on the defensive end and space the floor for him offensively so he just gives you so many other ways to build your team and i'm very curious to see what it'll look like now that he's no longer tethered to sabonis next year if the pacers can ever all get healthy him included but because this is now two years in a row that he's had really serious foot and ankle problems i couldn't put him quite there i i would i think there's still the argument which i just made that he's there and i know i don't have to tell you uh, about the virtues of miles Turner. no and how how i defined this group was very good defenders who did enough on the other end to make other team to threaten other teams and so that's one of the differences be, there are other ones between them and somebody let's say like Jakob pertle or clint capella who are also capable defensive centers they just don't quite have the same juice offensively something else that's extremely encouraging is the youth of this group so allen and ayton are 23 robert williams this is age 24 four season Mobley this is age 20 season and Miles Turner 25 so this group is all 25 or younger that they could they they damn well better continue to keep improving which is extremely exciting and this is a group that isn't the most scalable like you know like you're not going to see any of them as the hub of of your offense but they're not going to let you down they're almost all pretty good screeners they can they can be a part of different actions they could do that and we'll I'm excited to see how Mobley's offensive game evolves his inclusion in this group is is a real triumph for him and for the Cavs. I mean, first of all, two centers in the top 10 is, is really impressive. But because Mobley, he does so much right defensively at such a young age and that he can improve there. Also, he has the right kind of versatility where Mobley can play center or power forward defensively. And so thus you can use a lot of different lineup constructions. You can play him next to Kevin Love. You can play him next to Jared Allen. Both of those work well. And on a different team, that, was the, that versatility would really matter. And his offensive game is a work in progress. It's not at the level of some of these other guys yet, but he is getting a better understanding of what he can do and has the tools to continue to improve there. And a season starting right now, when you think about how much better Mobley is now than he was when he started, I'm confident that he deserves a place here. Yeah, I think so. I think part of it just due to his youth. Now, some of his defensive numbers have fallen off a little bit since they have. the start of the year in terms of his effectiveness contesting at the rim, but he still has been very, very good. And he's shown a ton as a switch 
defender. I mean, he you're just not going to score on him. If you're just some average guard, like you're not scoring on a switch. And yeah, that verse, usually we talk about it's a big plus for power forwards if they can move up to center. For him as the center, you know, I the beholder, whether he's a center or power forward, but his ability to play down at power forward, at least defensively, is a, a major selling point. And he's, he's hasn't been great from three, you know, not a ton of, of attempts. He'll take him when he's open, though. Like, he kind of needs to get guarded out there. He could put the ball on the floor a little bit. He's a, a really good passer. That's something that if he were the center on a team that had more guys who could fly around off the ball to come off screens for shots or handoffs for shots, then I think it, his distribution would look a lot better. You know, he's very good distributing in the short roll. I wish his hands were a little bit better. He does bobble like a fair number of passes. Um, DeAndre Ayton is other. I mean, Robert Williams is really bumped up. Mobley was in the league last year. Allen, to me, is really bumped up this year uh and so is Aiden and Aiden to me was in the high teens last year because I wasn't a huge believer in him defensively obviously we'd never seen him in playoffs his ability to guard one-on-one in the post is something that's not useful against every team but he's up there probably a top five post defender in the league and while I thought some of his ability to defend on the perimeter was overstated because the Clippers just didn't go to that that much with a true five out. He did obviously play well enough that they won that series and won it relatively comfortably in the end in a blowout fashion in game six. And he just gives you more on the offensive end too with his duck-ins, offensive rebounds. Like he's not going to post up against the switch, just throw it into him. Like that's not great offense, but uh, he's still a solidly above average center. He generates way more shots than your typical rim runner type because of his soft hands and great touch around the basket he can get to some short range hooks that are really good as well so i'm he's just another guy who's maybe not the greatest in any one area but the sum total is a solidly above average player on both end point and that is a guy who is in that lower end of the top 10 right i ended up yeah sorry go ahead no no you're gonna finish up on eight i guess i I shouldn't yeah well no i i agree with all that and i i think that ayton did have a a favorable set of opponents in the finals, I mean, in the playoffs overall. I mean, he got a lot more traditional centers, but he has done a nice job when the situation is less favorable to him overall. And yeah, he didn't do a great job on Giannis. Nobody does. And so I think that Aiton, does, he he merits a place here. As you mentioned, Jared Allen is a huge riser. Yeah, J- Jared Allen was your number six, right? Yes. I didn't, I didn't like, I did. I stopped numbering after Bam, but that is, that I did yeah. a rough ordering and I thought of him as, a, as the best of the group. Yeah, so it's, it's you've been a big stan of his, his for a while uh, how has he gotten so much better this year because you probably were ahead of him uh, last year i mean i had him down in the low 20s a, a year ago and what was kind of a lost year for him with the trade in and stuff alan uh, there are a couple different things so one of them is he has been a a very effective rim protector this year he's contesting you know it's in the top 10 um he's 6.3 per per game and opponents are shooting 51 percent. that's one of the lowest percentages other than then Gobert, I believe that's the lowest of any high volume shot contester in the league. The Cavs have done a, a nice job on the glass overall. He is a very capable play finisher, has some nascent like kind of assists stuff like he's not a I don't think of him as a hub but he can make good decisions with ball in his hands and shot blocking, shot contesting, generally they've done well rebounding. And so Allen, he doesn't have the most 
diverse offensive game, but I think he has enough there and he can create enough advantages. But then I think defensively, he does what you need him to do. And he's, I I, I think of Mobley as a more versatile defender. And I brought up, you know, I, I would have Mobley probably higher in my defensive player of the year conversation right now. Were either of them to be on it, which neither of them is on my ballot right now. But Allen at this point, not only because he knows what he is, but because he's better at what he is, is a much better offensive player. Yeah, that's a tough call. Just who's better, Mobley or Allen? I think I would probably go Mobley uh you know i think alan has decent versatility moving his feet but we've never really seen him in a switch system i think both of them are pretty weak physically i mean it's kind of funny the this team that plays two centers can still really struggle to guard the post uh and that's a concern on alan alan is a way better finisher obviously than mobley but he also never shoots well i should i mean jared allen is very accurate on those hook shots with either hands he gets unbelievable extension he's got big hands and that's a those quick duck in post ups off a pick and rolls for example you know, he's very effective as a finisher there but Mobley does space the floor Mobley also has to play next to Allen sometimes and Mobley to me is a better passer he can do a little bit off the dribble so I'm actually you know I think there are credible arguments for either of them being better on either end sure I probably I think I think Allen's yeah. the better I, I mean to me the argument that Mobley is better than Allen offensively is more of a conceptual one than an actual one at this point but in a year we could feel that that has actually happened yeah obviously Allen is one of the most efficient players in the NBA and Mobley for a center admittedly because he's playing a fair amount of power forward and shooting outside more is one of the least efficient players at this position should we talk Robert about Williams yeah, yeah there we go I mean yeah. Robert, that is a it is a significant rise I've been high on Robert Williams forever but his ability to stay on the floor is a huge positive he has yeah. like I mean be both avoiding foul trouble but also just being available for games he's a 1700 minutes this year that is roughly the same as rudy gobert that is in the same ballpark as the other and so that's that's huge he is as i mentioned ludicrously efficient 74 percent, but only on 11.5 usage he has more capacity to kind of switch and get into different defensive matchups that has been so central to boston's absolutely phenomenal stretch which has continued to this point that we're recording this podcast and he he definitely has like weaknesses and he has weird some, some foibles and everything like that but he's just He's so talented, and there's this run, which is a team effort for Boston defensively, but he's a very important part of it. Yeah, Rob Williams is a good switch defender i wouldn't say a great one there are matchups that they will try to keep him out of you know against like a luka Doncic, for example like the absolute best guys they don't want him guarding them and they also they have this system where they try to switch a lot off the ball pre-switch a lot of action so that he can stay closer to the rim but if he gets caught out on the perimeter he can do a totally credible job another guy who is just a, a great shot blocker at the rim i mean he his recognition is gotten better i would say but he might get off the ground faster than any other big man in the nba really good offensive rebounder very good screen setter alley-oop guy vertical threat although you you do i think part of why his usage is low is that the celtics just don't have that great passing spread pick and roll game it's more kind of tatum working into the mid-range or brown's not a great passer and they don't have amazing shooting he plays a lot next to horford another big so i do think if you were playing in the utah jazz offense he would have pretty similar usage to Rudy Gobert right I mean there there is a ceiling on how much you could get if you can't like make a hook shot really as a center and he, he doesn't really do that he's dabbled
dabbled in a mid-range jumper that thankfully has been consigned to the dustbin for now but really it's just been about health i mean his per minute production has always been completely ridiculous and i think i had him at 21 last year which was probably seemed really high because he had played so little but he had a really nice playoff run last year and then just miraculously has stayed totally healthy so far this year i still totally trust that and the celtics as great as they've played i hope it doesn't come to an end for them just due to one of that those top seven getting hurt but yeah he's been really really good and that contract for a top seven center is looking really good i probably would have had brooke lopez in this group if he hadn't got hurt i have him the top of the next tier yeah me too and it's too early to say whether he's going to come back and play at the level that he did in last year's playoffs but i thought he was really really good in in last year's playoffs and he does still have that ability to duck in and and mash you on the offensive glass or, or in the post he might be one of the worst passers i've ever seen in my entire life but that's okay they're not running a a ton through him and you know he still is uh splash mountain one of the most difficult guys to score on when he's in position in the league but you just i think is he he's 33 now and coming off this back surgery so i'm pricing that in a a little bit who Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us also was in the this next group for you Jakob Pertle Pertle one of the league's most prolific rim protectors he's second in contested shots per game right now and the Spurs defense hasn't been awesome when Pertle's been on the floor but that's more because of the three-point shooting that has happened and obviously Pertle's not doing a ton to affect that one way or the other he's so limited offensively that's a part of why he's not in in the tier above and also like you, he's not as you can't do as much with him defensively he does specific things very well and, and he grabs offensive rebounds of course but there isn't quite enough there for me to put him in next 
year, but he's also a stronger defender. Quint Capella is also in this group for me. And similar archetype in some ways. And Capella last year, I mean, we were lauding him for that the defense and there were these huge disparities. And those have toned down a lot this year, partially because the Hawks have had better backup center play with Anyeka Kongwu being more in the role. And partially just because part the uh, component of those splits for Capella last year was opponent shooting, which again, centers do less to control. Yeah, I did have Capella in this group. I just... It was towards the bottom, though. I he's really slipped in a pretty disturbing way. Yes, this year for me, uh, both he and Pirtle, their free throw shooting is just so bad. And Capella again has slipped. Really, I'm surprised that more teams haven't gone to the hack. It seems like there's almost just a gentleman's agreement in today's NBA to not do that anymore. And uh, also, uh, he's he's often out of the game at the start of the first or at the end of the first and the third, so there's less of a chance to do it. But it, it is a bigger big problem. He's given his shot diet for him to be below average and efficiency definitely bothers me he's an unbelievable rebounder on both end and so that's right at the corner of the backboard anymore the like he did when he was younger he is one of the worst finishers i've seen on anything that isn't a dunk so he really for him to be below average and efficiency is a problem like i, I think he's kind of i would consider him a below average offensive center at this point and then defensively just hasn't been able to have the same effect you mentioned that maybe some of that was fool's gold with shooting luck last year but obviously they weren't 27th in defense last year either so sure. i think he's just he's had this achilles soreness at, at times he just kind of seems to be trending in the wrong direction yeah and the exercise of a year starting now and but you get the you you, be, you get the like injuries that can improve like an immediate thing that you get I, I don't know the right way to phrase it like if it's a recurring like achilles soreness or something like that that we think he might deal with for the next five years then that's a little bit different I had yeah, trouble. So I had him at eight last year and I've got him 15. Who else did you have um, in this group? Al Horford. He has been, he stayed healthy this year. Can't play as many minutes as he used to, but he still spaces the floor enough to play the four credibly. Still a good passer. Doesn't do a ton else on, on offense these days, but he can still work through that DHO game some. And if you were on a team with better shooting, that might work a little bit better. Uh, you know, he's not a great drop covered center, but he can get out on the floor pretty well. He can execute the system defensively, show up in the right places as a help defender. He can get on the floor in a more aggressive pick and roll coverage or up to the level. That works pretty well. And just another guy who doesn't have any weaknesses and also gives you a little bit more versatility with his shooting and passing ability to play different types of players or just spread the floor overall in general. Just a good offensive connector as well. So I think last year, you know, he got shut down at the end of the year, but I thought he was still playing at a really good level. Level. I, I had him number 10 last which i think seemed crazy to a lot of people and so um you know, I, I had him in this group were you lower on him i have him in the top of the next tier because i mean also horford he is a credible three-point shooter but he's below 32 percent on the year which is a little bit concerning i'm not he's, he still gets guarded though. he does he does but that could that could eventually fade a time and because i think of horford he fit, if he kind of in some ways fits alongside a center better now that he's not as good in the drop coverage and so he he is versatile he can play both positions i do value you that but he isn't as good at some of the things that you want a center to do so i i get it. i haven't top but my tier i think is a little bit smaller a player that i have here that i was a little bit torn on just because he doesn't fit what i usually value is is jonas valanciunas but valanciunas he has shown his capability defensively now on two different teams and he's just a, a beast offensively you know the, uh, see I, I disagree with you i think he kind of sucks on defense i think he's fine like like if you go but like watch that jazz series from last year like he had no 
coaching. But I mean, so so you have him in tier below. I think I actually have him, have him in two tiers below. Wow, like in the you know twenty third, twenty fourth. You'll hear some of the other names. We'll, we'll okay. see. But yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, for him, and I also I'm not really sure how valuable he is on the offensive end because his post ups on a good team just don't really work. He takes up a lot of space in there. I mean, as a, he's as not a, effective against double teams. As a regular season player, Jokic has one of the highest. Or sorry, Valanciunas is one Valanciunas, of yeah. Valanciunas has one of the highest usage rates at the entire position and is one of the most efficient players. Like to you could say that it doesn't apply to the playoffs. I think that's completely fair. But there are 82 games before that, and now well, he's well. Is he one of the most efficient players at 61% true shooting at 24 usage? Like that's a there's a trade off here. Yeah. Like you're you're giving him more like of these. No, I, I I agree, and he, like, he's done more offensively this year uh, than than in the past. And, and you know the three point shooting 2.7 per 36 minutes again he's just not standing out there that often but he's if they had him stand out there more maybe he'd be more of a threat he's sped up his release a little bit it's still pretty slow but uh and and also he's a yeah, so he's a productive, it's more just about his he's defense. a productive offensive rebounder even though he's not always around the basket i mean he, he could do well there he sets good screens um I, I think he, especially like to me, drawing a huge line between what Clint Capella has done this year and what Valanciunas has done the last two years. I, I, I mean, maybe that's just a little bit of this is the this is a low point for Clint Capella rather than a rather than the new standard. I think that's possible, but. Like, and, and with Valentin, yeah. so it, I have Valentin. It just goes here. back to Capella being like pretty mobile defensively, solid drop coverage center. Like, I don't think like Valentinus can only play drop coverage, and I don't think he's good at it. It's just, it's one of these things where like, how good can your defense be if this guy is your center? Like, I think you're, you're just, I, I don't see how you get into being a solid top 10 defense unless you just have like crazy stuff around. So, so that's the issue. It's, it's a structural issue. But yeah, maybe this is one where you and I disagree on, uh, more what he is because because it seems like you like him better defensively. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think he is solidly below average on defense center. And, and he doesn't do enough on the offensive end to make up for that. I think he's kind of, he's a little clunky. His post-ups will, like, fuck up your spacing, and you have to give him the ball, and then he can't pass out of that. And, you know, he, he's a solid pick-and-roll threat, but he can't go get an alley-oop. So you got to, there are more limited ways to get him the ball. He's not going to suck in the backside help as much as maybe a guy who could go up and get it at top square. Um, Avicha Zubats. I actually had still in the 11 to 16 Um very good offensive rebounder can make a solid hook shot on duckins every once in a while maybe a little bit below average on the offensive end but i think he does enough and then i think he's just a really really good defensive center like one of the better rim protectors and actually underrated mobility and underrated pick and roll defense like phoenix you know the, he killed the clippers offense last year but phoenix with their pick and roll game was really struggling to score with him playing defense like he did a pretty decent job when they didn't just straight up switch but they would maybe late switch or he would step out on guys and then get back like they you know there was that 84 to 80 game a big part of that was because his defense was really good i mean obviously could make shots that game either but it was i think he is a very solidly above average defensive center and does enough on the offensive end with the occasional post up and finish around the rim and and offensive rebounding to be you know just slightly below average as an offense center yeah i like i like zubats a little bit less than purtle as a pure rim protector but he has a lot more offensive capability so i think it's fair to have them in the same tier i have them as well another player i have here is Kristaps porzingis porzingis it's been a weird year for his stock if you will because he was a part of a successful defense with dallas especially with that push they were doing and he 57 true shooting is bad for the position you brought up that the positional average is 61 but 
a big part of that is that for whatever reason, Porzingis just can't make threes this year. He's at 29% taking six per 36. I haven't seen anything to believe the reason to believe that he's significantly worse than 35% of his career. And this is actually the most efficient year Porzingis has had both in terms of two point shooting and getting to the free throw. And so the rim protection stuff is, I think the story is kind of where it was before. And if I'm going to bet on which way his offense is going to go, I'm going to bet that the career 35% three point shooter is going to be around that. And then those efficiency questions toned down significantly. Yeah. You know, I had Porzingis much higher last year part of that is that i think some of these young guys that we talked about have just passed him you know like your Aiton, mobley allen williams like all those guys weren't in the same group with him as last year i think chris has Porzingis, other than one one at very big but maybe fluky aspect is having a better season than he did a year ago health is obviously a major issue you know he's had just more health issues with various maladies and knee soreness and all that and he's shooting below 30 percent from three this year i think that that's he'll get back to being reasonable he's still shooting 86 percent at the line and he takes six per 36 minutes so he spaces the floor pretty well still you know i'm not a believer in his post-up game necessarily i'm very curious to see what happens in washington once they get their whole together next year i think you know the big the difference to me between him and miles turner in theory they have a similar skill set of protecting the rim and shooting the ball is just that porzingis has nowhere near the mobility of turner he just cannot get out on the floor he, he can only do one thing but he can do that one thing reasonably well yeah I think, and he's definitely to me has slipped since his first year in dallas he's improved from last year but he still is below where he was his first year in dallas as a rim protector so i think now if he just started being a real offensive plus hitting his three-pointer again you know i think that could cause him to kind of rock it up but the combination of the injuries not being able to make it back fully from the surgery that he had and inability to make an impact in a series where teams went small against him i just the lack of versatility really on either end is somewhat of a problem for me and his shooting if he's not gonna be able to take advantage of guys down low at all or even like offensive rebound or anything like that then the fact that he can shoot becomes a lot less exciting at higher levels so yeah i I had him at 60 and that rounds out this group for me two names though we have not heard yet guys who are all-stars just last year nikola vucevic and demontis sabonis we've had this conversation about them every year they're not going to be actually ranked significantly differently for me this year than they were last year but surely this is well below where many would have both players uh i had vucevic and Sabonis. i i, I stopped ranking at this point this is the 17 to 21 group so i have them both the argument to have them in this area for me is that they are not good enough defensively to set the table well you have to commit meaningful resources to shore that up otherwise your defense just isn't going to be good enough and to me Sabonis and Vucevic are not unguardable enough dominant enough to propel your offense to the levels necessary they're not Carl Anthony Towns they're not propelling you to the level necessary to make that a totally justifiable understandable sacrifice and that is not to say that they're bad players in any way shape or form it's not to say that they are incurable defensively but they have a specific shortcoming at the thing that is typically most important for their position and that matters a lot to me yeah i thought vucevic early on this season was having his best as a rim protector and some of the numbers reflected that in addition to just seeing that watching on film and seeing that he was really affecting guys around the rim and i don't know whether it's fatigue or just the lack of good 
players around him but the last two months both statistically where he's risen from 57 percent shooting a lot around the rim to 62 percent or just his effort level just a lot of plays where he's not really contesting at the basket not even necessarily making the effort in addition to just like okay he tried to move and he just couldn't get over there so i think he's established himself again as a solid defensive liability and then the three-point shooting has waxed and waned so much for him over the course of his career and now he's at 30 percent from three again also his finishing really was a struggle early in the year then that got better as the year went on and he's now up to 55 percent on twos he's below 50 percent on twos for a time and really struggling to finish around the rim that's still below the positional average the positional average is 60 percent on twos but he takes a fair number of jumpers those hook shots are going in a little bit still more. doesn't his get layups, to the line well yeah obviously i mean his layups were not going in for the start of the year now they're a little better but still he's not a great finisher so he deals still does space the floor he still can pass has a high skill level allows you to get away with playing a javante green at the four and not killing your offense you know, he's he's part of that in addition to the resilient scoring of DeRozan and levine but yeah I, I agree he's not a difference maker on the offensive end anymore 53 percent true shooting 25 percent usage he can have big games on occasion but he hasn't been reliable uh to uh, to me i would say this danny like if he's gonna be where he's at defensively to really be like actual all-star level he's got to be the second best offensive player on a good team and i don't think he has performed that way other than maybe a couple of years and he's now this is his age 31 season so you're not projecting it's gonna get better for him sabonis is younger he has been a much more efficient player he has better passing skills so you could you could use that well but i don't think he's better enough to to make it out of that tier and we're getting another reminder where you put ill-fitting defensive talent around sabonis and it's a real problem to defend anybody well can, can i talk about someone else first before we get to sabonis fine at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I have Wendell Carter Jr. in the same tier. So do I. My tier is a little bigger than yours, but I have Carter in here too. So, yeah, how is... I mean, that's obviously got to be a little concerning for Bulls fans because they also gave up the pick that became Franz Wagner and an additional pick in 2023 and took on the dead money of Alfred Camino for this year to get Vucevic. So tell us about Wendell Carter and why you see him at the same level as Vucevic. Carter has grown as an offensive player and also like the rim protection that we saw flashes of when he was in Chicago and in, and on film with him. That's, that's mostly better. I mean... 57% opponent shots when he's around the rim isn't phenomenal. Like, you know, you'd, you'd like to see that a little bit lower, but it's it's not it's not horrendous by any stretch of the imagination. It's it's around the level of somebody like Capella this year. And Carter deserves credit. I, if memory serves, I mean, I've noticed him being better as an, an individual rebounder. I believe the team numbers vaguely align with that. And he's not the greatest three-point shooter, but 33% on that kind of moderate volume, four per 36 
fits in there. And so to be the most stable defensive player, we hoped that he was going to get to play some with Jonathan Isaac this year. That is not happening. Um, but they've, I, I've been, I've been impressed with how he's, how he's grown on both ends of the floor. Yeah. The one disappointment for Carter has been his shot blocking is really not that great, but let's do a little comparo here between Vucevic and Wendell Carter Jr. on a certain match. Vucevic, five, three point attempts for 36. This is all going to be per 36 unless stated otherwise. Wendell Carter, 4.1. Vuce, shooting 30% for three Wendell Carter 33% Wendell Carter 0.9 blocks per 36 Vooch 1.1 Vooch 3.6 assists per 36 Carter 3.3 I'd still say Vooch is the better passer but so indulge me here rebounding Vooch 10.2 Wendell Carter 9.8 on the defensive glass offensive glass 2.1 per Vooch 2.7 for Carter so all oh you haven't mentioned you haven't mentioned two point shooting yet well yeah I I was getting to the ones that are all like kind of similar but yeah then two-point shooting carter's at 60 percent vooch is at 55 and then usage vooch is obviously higher 25 to 20 and played about the same number of minutes vooch had stayed healthier previously and true shooting carter's at 60 and vooch is at 53 so just in a purely statistical sense you would be hard pressed to argue that nikola vucevic has had a better year than wendell carter jr and wendell carter jr is his age 22 season vooch it's his age 31 very interesting and if you want to look at that in terms of something like let's use we can use not saying it's gospel but we can use adjust we can use epm sma plus minus vooch plus 0.5 on offense plus 0.9 on defense for a plus 1.4 carter plus 1.3 offense plus 1.5 defense plus 2.8 overall so he is stronger in each of the components there not saying it's gospel just saying as a data point yeah again tough if you want to say hey you know what like the bulls offense would be worse with wendell carter as opposed to nikola vucevic like i agree with you. that's probably right and carter had not developed as a shooter in chicago he has in orlando so you can't say that he would have been the same guy if he had just stayed in chicago he would, certainly wouldn't have had the same level just because he wasn't a name they wouldn't have run the ball through him nearly as much as it has but yeah that's uh so i've got two other guys let's get to bonus now actually sorry i sidetracked you there but i i that carter vooch comparison was obviously a natural one sure i already waxed on sabonis a little bit i'll let i'll let you do it i know i know that people i know I, you have plenty of experience doing it as we both do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just not that much more to, that needs to be said. I think his offensive performance to me in Sacramento has been a little bit disappointing. I thought he would uh, score more points, but really the offensive ecosystem is not that much more favorable to him, particularly with some of the shooting that they traded away than Indiana. So maybe I shouldn't have thought that. They're just running the ball through him more uh, on some of the DHO stuff. But uh, And then defensively, they've been terrible. Uh, and not a surprise, they don't have other great personnel around him. But now that he doesn't have Miles Turner propping him up, it's been really bad when Turner was out at the end of last year the defense was atrocious as well and he's just a although he tries pretty hard he's got some mobility he he just doesn't have the physical tools to make a difference defending the rim and he's not really good enough as a a switch defender to have that be the primary modus operandi either so you're just consigning yourself to a bad defense if he's going to be out there unless you have a ton of other pieces around if he is your center you're consigning yourself probably to a bad defense and then offensively he just is not like this whole running it through him at the elbows there's just it's not it's not that efficient 
in offense, it seems like. And his individual efficiency is a little bit down as well. Like he's never been that high of a usage guy. He hasn't really been able to get into that 25 or over usage the way even someone like Bam can. So yeah, I mean, he's just, I know he made a couple all-star teams. I know he like gets some assists, which can be sexy at that position, but I, I'm just not a believer that he is really helping them win. And, and it's gonna, I mean, Danny, I don't know where we're gonna end up ranking Tyrese Halliburton, speaking of trades and regrets, but we may end up ranking Tyrese Halliburton higher among point guards than Sabonis among centers. And considering that point guard is generally a less deep position and probably a more important position on most teams, and that, oh, you know, Tyrese Halliburton's just a little bit younger and just a little more team control than Demondis Sabonis. Yeah. There is time for Sabonis to change this. Maybe some adjustments from Monty McNair can get the personnel a little bit better, but it's a reminder of his shortcomings that you need those players to, to prop Sabonis up. And that's a problem because that you're, if your center can't do it, somebody else has to. My group, as I mentioned, yeah. is a little bit bigger here. It's I go from 17 to 27. One player that I want to mention is Isaiah Stewart. Stewart is his individual offensive efficiency is is lower than you would like in this but i think a lot yeah. of that is the Re- ecosystem. really disappointing offensive year for stewart in basically every capacity I, I i agree with that but the context of the pistons just not only not having much shooting but also not having that shooting being available i think that hurt him a lot and it took kate cunningham a while to kind of square things up this season this is also, you know, I, I, he's done better, Isaiah Stewart has, as a rim protector this year than I expected. There, There's some growth there. Yeah. I mean, that that's why I was so high on him. I mean, he's, what, like top six in terms of uh, field goal percentage yes. a lot at the rim among guys who have defended, I think, 100 or more shots. It was the cutoff that I did. So that's that's very impressive. It's just, man, like his shoot, like, I hope maybe he could stretch it out to three and instead he's like really regressed in that area this year. Um, his offensive rebounding hasn't been like, quite as dominating as i hoped like i have him in the next group you know in the the 22 to 32 range i still have a couple other guys in my group above here but yeah i don't know i i mean is there i know what you're saying about the pistons ecosystem but he just can't he's not explosive enough to finish and the 54 percent true shooting when he's not really shooting much from the outside is disappointing admittedly with not that nobody to set him up and no spacing and all that like i i get it i just i didn't want to see like regression from him i didn't want to see regression either Either. but and it's it's interesting because i think part of it is that you were higher on on stewart than i was originally so you're more disappointed by this year than i am <laughs> i that that does that does absolutely happen yeah well yeah i mean i had stewart pretty much in the same group as last year kind of you know around the you know, a very lower end starting yeah and i i've moved him up a little bit because i had him below that last year um did you, okay so so give me somebody that you have in that because you your tier is narrower than mine so i'm interested in where these lines are yeah, yeah, this 17 and 21. I've got a Neko Okongwu here. Nice. I have him a little lower, but I, I, um, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I mean, he's over 70% true shooting. Uh, he's, I think there is maybe a little bit more untapped potential on the offensive end that we haven't seen yet. His usage is a little bit lower than Capelli. He's not the same rebounder, but he definitely has got some pretty good pop. He can be a totally solid pick and roll center. Interesting. It remains to be seen whether he could make plays on a short roll. That's probably the next step for him. I haven't seen that much of that yet, but I think he, especially 
especially just as a guy who hasn't played that much and has shown some real flashes i just think that he if he were a starting center he would be better than isaiah suit right as i think about those two guys like all right i think akongu is better than stewart on defense and i think he's probably better than him on offense because he's got that alley-oop game so i'm i'm just a stronger finisher i'm a little spooked with akongu that both of the years that he's played and yeah it was a small sample last year he's at you know he's below a thousand minutes again so far this year they've been the hawks have they're not that they have great defensive talent but they've been below average kind of lower than you'd like in the things that big men generally do more to control so offensive or sorry defensive rebounding not particularly great free throw opponent free throw attempt rate yeah, not that's actually the one word is he is not a good defense yeah and opponents are and and it shows up in the the on off stats in addition sure. to just his own individual rebound. so like that kind of stuff is a little bit is a little bit scary for me i like a kong a lot and i i, I think that he could i mean did that whole thing in a 50 and 60 recently about how he might be you know stepping into the level that for for defensively where you can talk about him versus capella on that end of the floor and but it's just it's not certain yet and and those are some real concerns i like a kongwu i want to be I, I would i would be thrilled i would be thrilled for that to be the case um how did you handle nurkic because like nurkic is this weird circumstance where i think by quality of play when available he's probably around this but when available yes this current issue is a little bit different but he's just not available that much yeah i think he's the, the plantar fasciitis thing you know who knows whether he could be playing through that exactly or, like or it, the, the, it's so hard to calibrate with the blazers right now like <laughs> Um, I, I just wanted to, I, I looked this up briefly, wanted to, yeah, the, the Hawks defensive stats with the Congo on the floor are really good this year, right? Like 107 defensive rating for this team? Uh, including the glasses version is a 111.7. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at NBA.com right now. Because I wanted to look up like whether Gallo was just messing up a Congo's stats uh, defensively because he plays a lot of his events next to him and it, it wasn't. Um, but yeah, back to Nurkic. Yeah, I, I had him closing out this group as well. Always an underrated defender because he just kind of he's got good hands he just takes up space in there even though he's not a traditional shot blocker he's got even pretty good hands as a shot blocker as well and he's got more mobility less since the leg injury but still more mobility than a guy that big really you would expect to just statistically it shows up year after year that he props up a terrible blazers defense now he has the same problems of like being really good at the highest levels in the same way but at this range that's not as much of a concern and still can offensive rebound you wish he finished better he shoots maybe a little bit too much but he's still a solid pick and roll center and so yeah i think he's a guy who's just solidly average on both ends and there isn't really anyone else that i think has that established a level of play so that's that's why i had this delineation of him then getting down into this next group where there weren't guys where they're either below average on one end or have some warts or just haven't proven it enough so these guys are all guys who are kind of more i I characterize them as starters but not finishers on most teams like stewart was in that group i had valanchunas in that group mitchell robinson is there for me as well he's someone who maybe on a different team or if he could stay healthy could boost a a little bit but his usage is so low and he hasn't stayed healthy and you just you've never seen him in any sort of different defensive system other than just standing under the rim thibodeau style so maybe if he's on another team he could move up next year but based on what he's shown in the minutes he's been available uh, 
I had him here. I had Robinson in this area as well. A, p- a player that I had 13th last year that we haven't mentioned at all is, is Christian Wood. Is Christian Wood. And yeah, he's just proven that he sucks on defense. Right, exactly. Like that the the complaints that we've made previously about Sabonis and how you have to you, know, you have to do all this stuff to make it work and he's not worth it offensively. Those things are all true with Christian Wood now, and he's worse offensively than Sabonis is. So he's a part can be a part of a team. I don't know if I, I don't know if he is worse offensively than Sabonis is. He's not. He can't. I don't think he could do as much with the ball in his hands. And there, even if it's even if it's overstated, there is still utility in that. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's too bad for Wood, and maybe if he were on a real team, it could be different. But he's always struggled with maturity issues. He really hasn't improved his body enough to where he can bang on the inside. I mean, basically any. Post- post-up center with the slightest pulse is just going to go right through i mean what carl anthony Towns did things that are completely illegal to him and you know even evan mobley was like beasting him in the post like like other guys who are renowned for not being that physical themselves are still beasting christian wood in the post and wood will still have these flashes right like the end of their victory against memphis in the fourth quarter he had a number of great plays against ja morant where ja went up and wood stopped him in the air and ja had to throw a desperation pass out it had a couple of turnovers like it looked great so i still think like maybe there are moments he can protect the rim reasonably well but obviously houston has been bad defensively it's not all his fault but he just has never i'm not saying that maybe if he weren't in the perfect situation he couldn't be more effective defensively but all of the evidence essentially that we've accumulated so far in his career is that he's not a good I also have Kevon Looney in this area, underappreciated defensive player, extremely limited offensive player, but he can work within a, a, he can a better switch big than a vast majority of them. And he can rebound the hell out of the ball. He just can't finish. Yeah, I have him lower. I do think he's a very good defensive center. Marcus Thompson wrote about this a little bit that in part because he's bulked up and maybe just due to the injuries that he's, I don't think he's been as effective as a switch guy. They haven't used him nearly as much that way this year. He's a very good conventional pick and roll defense center though. And also has gotten better at battling in the post. He defends Nikola Jokic reasonably well, for example. But I think for a couple of reasons, he would just be totally unplayable offensively on any that didn't have the shooting that the Warriors do. He also can only really play 25 minutes a game just due to health issues. He doesn't finish a lot of games. He wouldn't finish a lot of games on another team. So yeah, he's, I think of him as a starter in a pinch or a really good backup, like definitely a very underrated defensive center, even in the, a solid rim protector, despite the fact he can't jump. He's got a huge wingspan. He's got, gets a lot of those Tim Duncan style of blocks. And very good at positioning. But yeah, it's just, but he's like, there are very few offensive centers that I would say are worse than him. And half the teams of the league you he would just have to bit player that so that that's why i have I, like i can't put him in the same like comparing him to like javale mcgee for example right like javale mcgee could start for half the teams in the league i mean not that he would start over the incumbent but just like if you put him on two-thirds of the teams in the league like they would be fine right and you know he, he has his own problems in the playoffs and maybe i would even rather have looney in the playoffs for certain teams and looney has specifically played over javale in the playoffs in part due to some of those strengths but it's just 
just I, I don't think like I, I bet he's going to be a free agent this year I don't think that he's going to have much of a market I don't think so either but I think the market has been wrong on Looney at least a couple times over do you have Steven Adams here yeah yeah I got Steven Adams here I think of him as he does these subtle things in the pick and roll game like screening off his own man or getting offensive rebounds where he can be effective he does set very good screens both initially and then on his own man after setting the initial screen but still I think a below average offensive center you know if he's not playing with a Russell Westbrook or a John Morant type of pick and roll threat that it who's a great finisher you know if he's playing with like Mike Conley as his pick and roll point guard or something like that or Ricky Rubio that he's just going to be totally ineffective and I, I thought he really struggled in New Orleans the last two years offensively and then defensively he's never been a great rim protector statistically who kind of knocks some heads in there he's only okay defending and one-on-one in the post so i think he's just like a little bit below average on both ends. and he's in a, a situation that we probably didn't appreciate how good it was for him offensively with jaw but i really wonder about you know he's a poor finisher as well he's a good offensive rebounder but that's and screen setter but i think he's still a below average often um any more on him i mean we can kind of we've been going on a while here so we can kind of run through a few of these guys of just your sort of lower end starters but you know do you really want to pay a lot for these guys this is kind of the group that i'm thinking of here i I have daniel Um, gafford here yep yeah i actually have him right next to adams on my list as well and Gafford, stamina issues, fouling a lot, offensively really solid. He has a, a much higher usage than you'd expect for one of these. You think of him as like a dunk only center, but particularly with the way he runs the floor, he's one of the highest jumping guys for alley-oops, offensive rebounding. Like he's he's a very valuable offense player because of how much he can generate for a player of this type. And then, you know, he's had statistically some moments as a, a good rim protector, but not a lot of defensive versatility. He can't stay on the floor. I mean, I think of him as like a little below average as a defensive center and limited but very effective in his role as an offensive center but then he can't play that many. um where'd you at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Of uh, Alperin Shangun. I had Shangun a little bit lower. Um, I'm not. I so I had him in the a group that's uh, definitely in a rotation, but not a starter. I'm just not sold on him defensively, and maybe a better surrounding talent and everything than what the, the where the Rockets are right now. And Shangun has shown some real steps. I mean, you, the shot blocking is intriguing, and he has these clear offensive positives, but. I think it's going to take him a little more time. I still like where Shangun is going, but I, 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 so I have him in the rotation, but not a starter group. Yeah, maybe I'm too high on him to have him at the lower end of this group. I mean, I really like what he does offensively. His passing is really good. It is. He, he can also drive it really well. And in the DHO game, which is nice, he can do those QB keepers. He loves doing those. Wish he finished a little bit better. Yeah, and then defensively, I think he is below average, to be sure. Maybe he would look better on another team. Like, I think... He, 
think he does play hard i think he gets in position he can jump and contest when he has a chance to load up so i'm not sure what to make of him he's the on off stats kind of like him relative to this position but that's also because houston starters have been so bad a lot of the year and you know he's re- coming in replacing daniel tice who really struggled this year um I have, andre drummond was in this group oh sorry, sorry. You more there's one other player i had in my top 20 last year that we haven't mentioned at all yet and that is Rashawn Holmes yeah uh, just it's been a struggle for him this year he still has that floater but we haven't seen the same defensive impact and he's just he's really had a lost year with all these eye injuries and personal absences and now he's been usurped by Sabonis so I'm not sure how much of this fall off is permanent maybe he's starting to lose some athleticism maybe he got paid in the offseason and that is something to do with it because he was going into his free agent year and he hadn't made much money in his career and, and Holmes is 28 this. now so this this could be the point where athleticism decline starts to supersede like skill or some sort of development yeah he's down from 29 minutes a game to 24 this year usage is down two points efficiency about the same as it was last year so offensively I think he'd still be pretty good um you know I think they just haven't had as good a passing with De'Aaron Fox having a much worse year I think that that negatively affected Holmes but yeah I mean just defensively he used to make some plays and have some mobility I just haven't seen nearly as much of that and there was all the stuff in previous years where the Kings offense just fell off a cliff whenever he sat and those dynamics weren't as present this year so yeah i have i have him down in this kind of area as well i have him in the fringe starter better backup 28 to 43 but i will acknowledge that i think he has a better chance than most at his age and kind of everything to that that basically this year was more anomalous because of all the different things that happen yeah more i I mean i just felt like last year he was above he he was solid on both ends which you couldn't say about a lot of these guys right now that's i i just have more questions about that and maybe my evaluation last year was just wrong and uh, but I do think that he has been worse this year and uh, Andre Drummond was in this group to me as well I think he's been pretty solid Uh, I think he's having one of his better defensive years since like when he was really at his height in Detroit and gets his hands on a lot of balls still turns it over too much but not nearly as much like trying to take two guys off the dribble and throwing the ball away crap that we've seen in recent years you know I do wish that he could get a little bit slimmer and read develops on the explosiveness but you know i think like if you brought him in to be a guy who started games at center and didn't finish them like i think that's fine i think he's capable of playing that role adequately on a good team. yeah I, I largely agree so i have this group big group from 28 to 43 that are guys that i, I described as fringe starters better backups and out of rage i so one of my policies <laughs> here is is i include players who could be in the nba but are not and that includes marcus all like this is where i see marcus all right now he's just he's playing in spade more power to him that's what he wants to do it's also where i have daniel tice who has taken a step back some of that circumstance just that disaster of a situation in houston and he's partially culpable for that and it just it didn't yeah. work i, I- I just had to to lower him way down because he's been so bad this year. He he has um, been. I'm I'm generally and, and he's not he, he's not going to get much of a chance to change that. It seems nope. like in Boston, one of the most inexplicable trades them acquiring him. Yeah, that was bizarre. Um, I also have Isaiah Hartenstein in this group. He's I I, I don't believe that this rim protection stuff is real because these numbers are like historically I, ridiculous. I mean, if you watch him, like he is a problem. Oh oh yeah. I mean to say like to 
that he's one of the more effective rim protectors when he's in position is there. But is he like one of the best rim protectors of the modern era? I'm not quite there yet. But also Hartenstein has grown defense, uh, has taken some strides, like kind of becoming a more consistent offensive player. So I would be, he is a free agent this year. I would love just as an experiment to see what he could do in a different role on a different team, you know, like as I'm not saying that the Spurs are going to let him go, but like if you put Isaiah Hartenstein in Jakob Pertl's role, what would stay the same? What would change? He's got this little floater game, just like Jakob Pertl does. I don't think he has the same mobility. I agree. As Pertl and, and I mean, and Pertl, I, I'm I saying this, and I have them three years apart, so it's not like I'm saying they're the same yeah, player. No, but but yeah, I mean, he's been very encouraging this year, and he can get up for some dunks too. He's got some bounce. Five fourteen on threes, even Danny. Uh, all right, let, let's not go crazy, but yeah, he, he's someone who, again, I think if you brought him in as your starting center to play 20 or 25 minutes a game he would be completely adequate and this is again as we're getting into this group where you've got all right 40 40 players that we view as adequate stars at this position and then you throw in as well the number of guys who can play up from power forward and be better than a lot of these centers that's where you get again to the like all right if you're not getting a real two-way force type of player paying that guy more than maybe like 12 million a year just doesn't make sense you know even like wendell carter right like you feel like okay he signed this extension he's had this breakout year i think it's four years 50 million for him assuming that you know with the cap going up maybe that'll look better but you know kind of like 10 12 14 million a year like that's 14 million a year in a few years for this and that's for a guy who i think does have some two-way potential right below that it's sort of like you know javel mcgee was could start and play 20 minutes 25 minutes a game for the average team and be totally decent right so like and and he signed a one-year 4.5 million dollar deal they're just there are good players out there and also i think you can find young centers in the draft like gafford who who have an impact you know kind of late teens early 20s as well who can come in you know by their second or third year and at least give you like low-end starter high-end backup type of production right potentially yeah um where'd you have our guy mason Plumley in this tier yeah yeah i had him maybe a little bit yeah i, I guess it's probably about the same really I, I think to me there are the guys where i was like i would be yeah this is a solid starter but not finisher where the other guys some of these other guys like hassan whiteside dwight powell kelly olenic i had looney in this group ken birch Plumley, where it's sort of like all right these guys are not these guys are below average i would say on either on both ends or like way below average on one a couple other guys so that, that's why i had a lower a lower group with uh s- some of these guys here did you i'm guessing you had montrez harrell in the higher group uh no i i had him in the in the you know decent backup range it's kind of interesting for him because he's a really good backup but he also just can't start which is such an odd situation i mean harrell does deserve some plaudits for the lakers being better defensively than we thought when he played without ad last year like, i i want to give him some credit there okay. but not enough to move him. And I have Nerlens Noel here. No, I had forgotten when I was saying all these guys that were in the teens last year that weren't, we hadn't mentioned. I had Noel 14th last year, and now he's in my kind of 30 range is probably about right for that. Some of that is availability. I mean, he just misses too much time. And- I mean, that's a lot of it. Like if, if he were just, if he had had the exact same year this year as he had last year, uh, I would have him at 20 probably. Yeah, I think that I think that's totally fair. And Serge Ibaka? I actually have him just a little lower. Low at this point. I, I'm scared of his back. I'm just really scared yeah yeah he's had a, f- a few moments recently for milwaukee 
Um, Robin Lopez was still in this yep. group for me too. I mean, he was totally good last year and I don't understand why he just like decided to not play basketball this year. Yeah. Go somewhere he, he, he and Mark, he and Marcus can be my rage picks for this where it's like, they're just not getting the opportunity to show it. Um, I have Nick Claxton here as well. I still wonder exactly where he fits on a less weird team, but I like Claxton as a role man. Yeah. I think he can. He, he th- just can't start is the problem, right? I, I think he can play, finish games, maybe in certain matchups, but he's just too thin. And also he's had his own health issues. He as has. Well. Uh, Mike Muscala, I mean, it'd be nice if he could play and, you know, he did end up having this ankle surgery, but is that what we mentioned that Mike Muscala of players defined by the Raptor model as a center is fourth in overall Raptor this year. I mean, he's taken 10 three-point attempts for 36 minutes, and he's hitting 43% of them. I mean, that's a very limited example. He won't continue oh, to do And, and by, by the way, I mentioned that in Raptor. He's also sixth among centers in EPM. <laughs> the yeah, mo- but he's also... The all-time model darling. It, but he's below, like, well below average as a defensive center. Like, he's too oh, thin. Yeah. I, I'm not he saying he should be higher. I, have him, I actually have him lower than this. Right, yeah. So, it, it, and he also hasn't played on a real team the last couple of years but yeah, he and Olenek are somewhat similar in that respect I think Olenek's better than him defensively and does does more than just shoot it but still if you can hold up at all defensively at center and shoot the ball like that like that that's meaningful so, so Nate where, where did you put Chris Boucher and Precious Chua because I had more trouble with those guys than almost anybody yeah yeah Boucher has actually been playing more power forward this year we might have to move to power forward but um yeah I just see those guys as backups at this point in time. that that that's Achua where I, that's just, where I ended up with them but Achua's defensive chops are definitely worth keeping an eye on. His offensive yeah, his offensive it, game is not worth keeping an eye on. For the love of God, do not. <laughs> but like he he's I mean it's so so weird. He's shooting thirty six percent on three. He's starting to take more of them recently. It's just it either goes in or he airballs it. Right? <laughs> like whether it's his shot selection, the actual outcome of his shots, he's still shooting forty five percent on twos. But if he just were limited to alley oops alone, and that the Raptors haven't really had a spread pick and roll game this year because they just have all these guys who are just like him <laughs> basically uh maybe a little more talented offensively but in terms of just their size there's not a ton of shooting on this team and, and i don't think he's really that effective as a traditional rim protecting center but yeah he's real effective as a switch defender like he was trying james harden or james harden was trying him today and getting nowhere against him so yeah he has some uh extreme strengths and weaknesses as we've talked about and so i think the raptors deserve credit for starting to get something out of him and his weirdness but i don't know how that would play in other places so a few others we have to talk about here james wiseman would be even if if healthy and and it's too bad he's had this setback we'll get the news tomorrow but i I think would have to be below 45 you know just like a a backup a bad backup at this point he's in the Um, 70s for me mo bamba anytime he has played center and hasn't been next to wendell carter it's been a complete disaster basically his entire career i mean not necessarily wendell carter but when he hasn't when he's been the only center he's just killed them and he's averages some blocks but just is i there's little evidence that he's a good defensive center and his shooting is not enough to really stress out the defense it seems like i have isaiah jackson uh, yeah, i have yeah, isaiah sorry. jackson as a potential riser for next year but he's in this rotation but not a starter group for me that runs from 44 to 67 yeah i mean i would have him not in the top 60 personally i think he's just too slight doesn't have the normal like he could 
could switch, but he can't really do anything else defensively. Um, you know, I would have someone like Xavier Tillman. Oh, I I, Tillman. I actually have yeah. Tillman in the 28 to 43 group. I, I really like Xavier yeah. Tillman. That might be a little rosy. I mean, obviously, he's falling behind Brandon Clark again. They've got a lot of, of other good players there, so he hasn't had a chance to play as much. Uh, you know, Zach Collins actually had a really nice game today. Uh, this game I just got back from against the Warriors, but uh, he's someone who I think could be solidly in this low-end starter, high-end backup group if he can stay healthy and just get back to where he was previously. It's just we haven't seen enough of that yet. Jackson Hayes, how did you treat him? Definitely shown some signs recently. I'm not all... I, I, I don't... I almost put him in the definitely in a rotation group, but I'm just not quite there. So he he has the potential to rise above that. I add him as like... Yeah. The, he was actually the toughest guy that I didn't put into the rotation level. Yeah, I still have him until further notice in the lower end backup, but that's a big step up from kills you whenever he's on the floor, which is where he was his first couple of years. Yes. Some of his shooting potential. There have been some intriguing three-point attempts and and make from him. I think that's about all I've got here. Anybody else that you like really wanted to talk about? No, not particularly. I mean, we're seeing some of the some of the like senior citizens falling off these lists like DeAndre Jordan. Dwight Howard is now in the backup group for me. Um, Cody Zeller I had in the solid backup, even like sometimes starter rain earmuffs, Tommy Shepard. But this is also where I have Thomas Bryant and I and that might be generous. It's just he, he was very offensively capable last year and this year has been, you know, he's coming back from the injury. So I mostly graded him on last year yeah tristan thompson has really fallen off i, I would say as well it's just gonna not be a, a big part of, of this list so who are your big i think we hit on most of them but anyone else you wanted to hit on that was like a big riser or faller yeah, i mean we already hit on that group from six to ten i think that's the most important in kind of the overall scope of things no and no, nobody else that's really um I mean, like guys like Wendell Carter have taken steps forward. I think that's a significant one. But no, I think we did more of that over the course of this. I, I mentioned the followers are a lot of them are like these these older players that are just not at that same level. Tristan Thompson and DeAndre and Dwight and all of those. Yeah, all right. Well, this was fun. Thanks so much uh, for listening. And, and of course, great time if you have not done so yet to subscribe to Dunked on Prime. And we even if you're someone who's in a, a difficult financial situation or you're a student or something, we do have reduced pricing. You look at my pinned tweet in the letter there, there is information on how to join up with that and then make sure to check out the nba cast philly and miami let's hope that Philly's guys play maybe they won't but still listen to us commentate the games anyway and we'll be with you all week on dunked on prime talk to y'all soon at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.